and don't worry about shortening. Good morning. So we're going to start just a couple minutes early because we have a couple announcements and it's our welcome back Sunday. So I'm Jen Lake. I'm presiding elder this morning and it's my pleasure to welcome you to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We're so delighted to have you here for worship. Um, Just a quick reminder, old friends and new, that the end of every pew is the friendship pad. So if you wouldn't mind picking those up and passing them throughout the service Um, and As always, we do have Stephen ministers available. So um, in terms of today's Stephen minister, it's Jane Hunter. Uh, They always have blue name tags, so they'll be available in the narthex um, or after church if you have any concerns. So first up for announcements, I'd like to invite Liz to tell us about Penny Pincher. Good morning. I'm sure you know I'm here to talk about the Penny Pincher sale. I'm sure you know that. You probably know we've been having the Penny Pincher Sale, Presbyterian Women's Sale, since the early 80s at least. And I know they call it a garage sale and a fundraiser for Presbyterian women. I think of it as a fellowship event that happens to raise money. And I say that because I've always worked on it, and it's so much fun. The bulletin has most of the information you need to know, but we are here to talk about volunteering because we always need lots of man and woman power here. Uh, We started signing up volunteers last week, and the chart will be, uh, after church, it'll be in the fellowship hall and for the next two Sundays after each service. We need people the first three days for setup and sorting and pricing. Then during the sale, of course, we need cashiers and baggers and people to help customers find their way around, and of course, big cleanup on Friday. And we want to make the point that we need men as well as women not just because of the muscle, but because they know how to test out electronics, they can identify tools and sporting goods that I don't know anything about, and garden merchandise, and they can probably help me not put a lacrosse stick in with the garden rakes and be embarrassed myself, frankly. So we like them to help us. And as far as muscle, another way we could use some muscle is on the 25th. There'll be a a reminder in your bulletin next week. On the 25th, after the second service, we move things out of the lobby into the narthex, and we set up the tables in Fellowship Hall. They're all down there. You don't have to carry them downstairs, but we need help setting them up. So just keep that in mind, too. So on our sign-up sheet, there's slots, and you can set up. You can work during the sale. You can clean up. You can do all three. We love those people that move in on Monday and stay until Friday with us. That's perfectly acceptable. And if you can't work, maybe you can, we always have snacks and beverages. Maybe you could make some cookies or snacks for the workers or something like that. But we hope, especially if you're new to the church, you'll come and meet some new people. And if you always come to one service and don't know those mysterious people that the other service, this is a good way to meet them. So, uh, and I have to tell you before I leave, my definition of the penny pincher sale, which is, and if you've worked on it, you'll know this. We bring all the stuff we don't want into church. We sort it and price it for three days, and we buy each other's stuff for three days. And then if there's anything left, we open it to the public. That's really the truth of it. Another good reason to volunteer. So I hope you'll sign up, and I know you'll have fun. That Monday, the 26th. Okay. 26th, 27th, and 28th. By the 28th, we're pricing, and then the sales are 29th and 30th. 
Okay? Thank you. And now we have an announcement from Diane Brown. Now that everyone's back, we really need volunteers for our Habitat House. It's coming along nicely. The exterior is almost completely finished, and so we'll be moving inside and starting on insulation, drywall. They will have professionals doing the final uh, finish on the drywalls, and then there will be painting, trim, etc. Uh, this past week, on Thursday, we had three days, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to work. On Thursday, there was one worker. Friday, there were no workers. And Saturday, we had four. Those aren't all from our church, but we do need to do our, own, our, our part in building this house. And the uh, gal who will be the homeowner, a single mother with one child, is just a delight. So I hope to see more of you out there. Please go to our website, and you can see what days of the week. <clears throat> and we are now, there are now dates through October 22nd, I believe. So if you go online, you can see the whole schedule. Pick out a date where you'll be able to work for the day. We'd really appreciate that. And we do have some Saturdays for 16-plus workers, and they will probably be working on the shed that will go with the house. Thank you. So I just wanted to remind everyone that today is a special day for the church. Immediately following this service, we will take an all-church picture. So the weather seems like it will be cooperating. So um, I, I believe we're going to gather right on the lawn. Bruce is nodding his head yes. Thank you. Um, and then obviously followed back by our welcome back picnic with lots of food graciously prepared by our deacons, uh, pony rides, and a magician for kids. So hopefully you can join us. And with our last announcement, Betsy Wilson. I wonder what that's all about. It's not my birthday. Our theme this year is a toast to 25. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to our gracious volunteers. Thanks to Bruce and Carrie for their support. And thanks to all the kids and their families who have been taking part in our Logos program. We are still going strong. For all of you who don't know what Logos is, Logos is our midweek youth program, and it actually has four parts. There's Bible study, which has awesome amazing stories. We have bells and music, uh, music with singing and bells, and then games with a playtime, awesome games. We feed over 70 people each week with an amazing dinner with the volunteers. And it's for everybody, kindergarten through fourth, and Loving Logos is fifth and sixth, and Living Logos is seven and up, so please join us. So what's important is to continue our program for another 25 years. We need volunteers like you. And you. And you. And whether you have kids or not, whether and at any age, Logo starts this Wednesday from 4 till 7 p.m.
So, with that... A toast to 25. There we go. And... A get in close together. Congrats. Cheers. Cheers. So you can talk to Matt, Susie, or myself after service if you have any questions. Bruce, I'm so sorry about this. I'm so sorry about this disruption, really. But help us raise the future young leaders of this world in our church, your kids. Cheers. I would just like to point out it's the adults, too, that are keeping the balloons going, not the kids. <laughs> We're all kids, right? <laughs> we'll begin our service with the prelude. Good, good luck, Bruce. Like Jeremiah crying over cities that were lost, we see children dying who know war's awful cost. O oh God, you came to save us in Christ, your suffering Son. In his death you forgave us, in his life joy is won. Let us worship God.
Please join me in prayer. Seeking God, with relentless persistence you look until you find where we are in our lostness. In unconditional love you move to save us from the harshness of the world into which we have wandered, following our own will and way. You show us that nothing can deter you from your intention to bring us back to you and to enfold us in the safety of your love. How great and good you are as your sought-out and rescued people. We rejoice in praising and worshiping you this day. Amen. For this is the God to whom we sing Alleluia. In our lostness, God seeks us out and God forgives us. So let us use even this corporate prayer of confession. O God, we admit that we often feel lost. We are confused by the information explosion coming at us. We confess we have doubted your ability, even your desire to enter our lives and enlighten our way. We have trusted more in our own knowledge and premeditated wisdom to save us while listening to the messages and opinions of so many voices, all the while wondering, is that all there is? Then you burst in upon the human scene long ago with the heretical message of Jesus to challenge us with the truth of your active presence and caring. Forgive us for our wandering for failing to hear and see you close at hand and our hesitancy to respond to your word. We confess we are resistant or unwilling to be found by you, instinctively knowing you will work to change us. It is then that you are much more God than we want. Forgive us, we pray. Amen. The saying is sure and full of worthy acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God did not give up on humanity, but came seeking us in Christ. When we are lost in sin, God appeared among us in Jesus Christ. In him, God has done an amazing work of rescue. We are found, forgiven, and freed by the gracious God of creation. Glory be to God. friends. Well, just as our words of assurance hinted to us, Paul writes his first letter to Timothy with these words of assurance that Jesus came into the world to save us and to love us. And so I invite each one of us to hear God's word to us as Paul writes, I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy 
because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Carrie. I'm going to invite children to join me up on the stairs. Be careful you don't walk too fast past the balloons and stir them up. Uh, Yeah, they're pretty big, uh, those balloons. I thought I'd tell you something about lostness today and something that really wasn't lost, but I had to give thought about whether or not I should hide it. And that is we have a large canister... I'm not going to tell you where it is, but it's filled with helium. And I was so afraid that, given the size of these balloons, that Matt Wall would fill them with helium. And then the temptation would be to suck on the helium, and I'll talk like little chipmunks, like this. But it's not lost. We know where it is, and it'll be available for celebration on Wednesday, I'm sure. But that's kind of special. Actually, Craig Kunkel's not lost either, but he often is very active and busy uh, in Sunday school when we're in worship, but he's here today because he wants to make a special presentation, don't you, Craig? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So today we're handing out Bibles to to third graders, Um, and I have them over here ready. Um, But I wanted to tell you about the Bible a little bit. You hear a lot about it, but it's different than other books because it's a book that's a conversation. It's hard to have a conversation with a book because you read it and and you look at it. But uh, the Bible always has you, it always makes you ask questions, or it should be. So as you read the Bible, you ask questions, and sometimes you get answers to the questions But a lot of times you get more questions, and that's what happens. Um, And so it's a Bible. The Bible you can read over and over again because it has you ask different questions too as you read it because you're in different age and a different part of your life. We're giving out two Bibles today, and I want to show you how they're different. There's this one. This is the new one that we haven't given out before. All right. This one is a graphic novel Bible. Um, The difference with this is it doesn't have all the stories that a normal Bible has um, because there's a lot of pictures. And there's less words. You see it? I don't know what story I opened up to, but... Hmm. And some of you said you wanted that one. And then the normal Bible... That we usually give out. So at this time, if if you're entering third grade, if you could stand up, stand up, so I can easily pick you out of the crowd. That's going to take a while. 
Cody Matthew, here's yours. Cassie, Cassie, here's yours. Will. William. Here's yours. I don't know. I missed yours. Did I miss anybody? No, it doesn't look like. All right, so this morning, as you leave, don't run ahead of me because we're going to go out together and we're going to find your classrooms, okay, together. All right? So let's pray. Dear God, As we read these Bibles, help us to learn a little bit about you and to question and have a conversation with you as we read them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, have a great time in Sunday school today. Thanks for coming up. She's precious. Yeah. As good Presbyterians, everything done decently and in order. (laughs) Our Old Testament lesson for today is taken from Jeremiah chapter 4. I invite you to hear how the weeping prophet continues to paint a picture for those who know that there is going to be dissension and division and war and strife in Judah. I invite us to hear all God's words to us. At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the deserts toward my poor people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak judgment against them. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They're skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked at the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no one at all. All the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make it a full end, Because of this, the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black, for I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
God in love is always seeking, see a woman with her broom. For a single coin, she's sweeping every corner of the room. When it's found, she calls each neighbor, telling friends from all around. So God says to search and labor till God's precious ones are found. Luke 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. Please join me in our congregational reflection. God's great love is so amazing. See, a shepherd with his flocks. Ninety-nine are safely grazing. One is lost among the rocks. That good shepherd goes and searches till he finds the one astray. So God says to fill our churches with the ones who've lost their way.
Well, I realize how much I've missed you, choir. <laughs> That's worth coming today to hear. You know, there are 105 million parking spaces in America. And your vehicle is probably occupying one of them. I don't know which one. Most of us remember if we parked in the small lot off Locust Street or down Rand Place, but maybe you parked in one of the bank lots or behind the library, but you usually remember this. Now I want you to think Disney World. The parking areas there include more than 46,000 parking spaces, and every day a good number of guests cannot remember where they left their car. Visitors arrive at the theme park, revved up to have a good time. They aren't paying really close attention. And what's more, they may be piloting a rental whose color and make they haven't committed to the deeper part of their memory. By the way, I have a definition for Disney World. I created it a long time ago. I misplaced it, but I have refound it. Disney World, a people trap operated by a mouse. <laughs> but if you've lost your car... Disney employees will help. Did you know that each parking section has a Disney character name? There's Chip, and there's Dale, there's Pluto and Goofy, Dopey, Sleepy. These are clearly identified with prominently posted pictures of the Disney characters. As arriving guests board the trams that carry them into the park, the tram drivers tell the visitors what lot they're in, and urge them to take note and remember the character. Still, lots of people fail to remember that Disney employs a small army called the parking cast, whose job it is to reassure flummoxed folks and reunite them with their autos. The parking cast. Only Disney could create a cast for the entertainment event called Finding Your Car. <laughs> now, the parking cast uses an array of tools, including perseverance and technology and clues elicited from guests. For starters, Disney keeps track of when each lot fills. That way, if visitors can remember approximately when they arrived, the Disney workers can help them narrow their search to what lot in which they might find their car. If the misplaced car has OnStar, cast members suggest that the driver call it so that they can make use of global positioning devices. But often, Disney employees just drive the families around in company vehicles while the guests lean out the window, pushing the panic button on their keychains, <laughs> hoping that the car will sound off. <laughs> Through one means or another, Disney manages to relink guests with their vehicles, finding the lost and enabling park visitors to go on their way. It just occurred to me, I would not want to be the person who lost my car in Dopey. <laughs> I, 
don't know if Disney parking cast has a favorite Bible passage or not. But the two little parables in today's gospel would be good candidates. They have the stories of losing and finding. And it's obviously why only the parking cast, but also the hapless guests might identify with these stories. But that's about the point where the parables break down. Jesus indicated both the shepherd and the homemaker are so thrilled at finding what they have lost that they decide to celebrate. Both call neighbors to gather for a party. Do you suppose that's how the parking lot cast members react? For them, helping baffle visitors all in a day's work. We doubt they party every time they succeed. Well, that would be a good job. As far as the chagrined guests finally stumbling upon the location of their transport, no doubt brings a wave of relief, maybe even reprieve, but it doesn't necessarily bring this level of joy. So how do you usually react when you finally locate something that's been missing? Like most of us, we probably lost and found not only coins, but keys and glasses and watches, pens, socks. I don't know why it is I put two pairs of socks in the, in the laundry and sometimes only one sock that doesn't match the other. I don't know how that happens. A myriad other findings. So Jesus asks, which one of you would not have a party? I'd confess I wouldn't have a party over some of the things I've lost. Lots of folks summer the vacation at the Cape. They attend family reunions in North Carolina. Some of you spend your days over near Chautauqua or down on Cuca Lake. Every weekend throughout the summer, there is a festival in some community around the city of Rochester. And here we are at the threshold of fall, and it feels like a homecoming of sorts. School's begun. First Presbyterian Church returns to two services. Some of the summer lost are in worship. They're ready to party, and deacons have prepared. There'll be a party out here, and then we'll leave. We hope that at the end of worship, you all go outside because we hope to take a picture of you all on the front lawn. And I thought, how wonderful that the lectionary gospel lesson for these little parables should come up today. But I struggle to identify with these shepherds. I mean, most people get attached to their pets. It's not unreasonable to assume that the shepherd actually cared about the individual animals in his flock. In that case, the shepherd searching for the missing sheep was more than just trying to maintain the profitability of his flock. The finding of the lost sheep becomes a source of joy because the flock would otherwise feel incomplete to this shepherd. So which pet owner of you having lost your animal companion and found it again, doesn't call all of your friends and invite them over your, to your house for a party. I mean, it takes effort to identify with people who have only a few things, like the shepherds. We have dozens of pens. If we misplace one, no big deal. 
we just pick up another, even for gadgets. We don't have extras. It's often easier to simply go buy another than to spend time searching for the one that's now wayward. That was not so in the first century. People owned far fewer things, and the lost silver coin in the parable was the equivalent of a full day's pay. Did you know that ten coins was what a bride received in that part of Palestine when the day she got married? Ten silver coins. This is akin to losing your wedding band or your engagement ring in that culture. And so she searched for it. It's almost never easy to identify with God, but that's whom these two parables really describe. After each of them, Jesus gives the moral of the story, stating that the repentance of one lone sinner is the occasion for great joy in heaven. Who can say why, after all the members of the human race God has created, God experiences such exhilaration over the conversion of one person. Which one of you, said Jesus, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and brings it home and rejoices. I thought, how beautiful, how touching. How absurd. As much beloved gospel hymn goes like this. Maybe you sang it as a child like I did. There were ninety and nine who safely lay in the shelter of the fold. Maybe you sang that. That's not how Jesus told the story. Which of you, said Jesus, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that's lost? And I thought to myself, he left them where? In the wilderness. This adds an edge to the story. Now, a hundred sheep is a good-sized flock. Surely the shepherd would not miss one, but he misses it. That sheep is valuable, so valuable that he is willing to risk leaving his 99 in the wilderness where they are vulnerable to predators to find the one who has wandered off. So valuable that when he gets home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and throws this celebration. That's one valuable sheep. But of course, Jesus is not talking about sheep, really. He's talking about you and me. Now, sheep are not the brightest animals on the planet. It's said that sheep get lost by nibbling away at the grass, never looking up. People are kind of like that. Have you ever been nibbling along one day and all of a sudden you looked up and thought, how did I get here? I've even done that while driving the car. And sheep are born followers. They'll follow you most anywhere. Mary Alice Dice of Phoenix, Arizona, wrote to Guidepost magazine with a story about her pet lamb, Beatrice. And one day, Beatrice broke out of 
her pen and led the other neighbor's sheep out of their field toward a very busy intersection. So Mary Alice called for the sheep, but they continued just trotting across the street. And so in desperation, she began to yell, and she tried to sound like a sheep. She said it loudly, Bah! Beatrice stopped, turned around, and came back to her own field, bringing all the neighbor's sheep that followed. New school teacher, farming community in Texas. She never grew up on a farm. She has her class. It's early in the season. If there were 12 sheep, she said, in the field, and one joked over the fence, how many would you have left? Billy spoke up, and he said, none. And the teacher said, Billy, you do not know your arithmetic. And he said, no, ma'am, but I do know sheep. Sheep are followers. And sometimes they're not too wise about whom they choose to follow. This is the portion of the text best set aside for the second Tuesday in November. Two photos once appeared together on the front page of a local newspaper, the Camden Maine Herald. One photo was of the board of aldermen and the town manager huddled together at the meeting. And the other was a flock of sheep on a hillside in Maine. Unintentionally, the captions were reversed. So under the picture of the sheep, the caption identified them as the alderman and the town manager. (laughs) Under the photo of the distinguished fathers of the community, the caption read like this. The sheep, naive and vulnerable, huddled for security against the uncertainties of the outside world. (laughs) You and I are like sheep. We nibble ourselves into situations that are too big for us to handle. We follow the other sheep, sometimes unwisely. And there we are, naive and vulnerable, huddled together for security against the uncertainties of an outside world, and so we come to worship? Does our shepherd care? The gospel is here to say yes. This week I began to read a reflection of editor of Presbyterian Outlook, Jill Duffield. She read the last sentence in an article in the New York Times that read this way, the world never looks as big as when someone is lost. This is the last sentence that concluded what the Times had to say about Japanese families who continue five years after that big tsunami to look for loved ones lost in the great wave that swept over the island. They are so desperate to find their lost loved ones that some of them have learned to deep sea dive so that they can search in the water for family members they've lost. Daily, one woman takes food, her missing daughter's favorite meals, and throws them into the sea. You will do anything for your children, she says. The world never looks as big as when someone is lost. 
You will remember in the aftermath of September 11, 2001, 15 years ago, the walls of photos, photos of the missing, all of those heartbreaking posters with photos and messages and phone numbers and descriptions have been preserved and are kept in loose-leaf binders at St. Vincent Hospital. And the daily costs reported last year, the binders are in storage, emerging rarely, save for one day a year. We have a memorial mass every September 11 in the chapel, and we bring out the books. We let people look through them, then we take them back, out of sight. But the world never looks as big as when someone is lost. That was a challenging day for our family. Our son Josh had gone off to New York City to interview for work. He had graduated in the spring and spent time in Europe and then decided it was time to go interview for a job. So he took off for New York. He was interviewing on 9-10. And then we spoke to him on the phone, and he let us know that he would be flying home from Newark Airport into Rochester, and, um, but he was making a stop at the World Trade Center. We did not know that he was reading a book and missed the stop at the World Trade Center and continued to Newark Airport, where he saw the towers fall. But news of the planes hitting the towers arrived at our church, and Ernie, our custodian, ran into the church office. We do not have a television here, and so we got a monitor we used for a VHS tape, and we untwisted a metal coat hanger, and we jammed it into the back of the TV, and we had a snowy picture of the news. Well, you may be aware, all cell phone use was shut down in New York. You couldn't get calls in or out. We didn't know where Josh was. So finally, he paid $60, all the cash he had, to a taxi cab driver to drive him as far south in New Jersey as he could. He made it to his home college and called from there. And we called a friend who drove over from Philadelphia and picked him up in his new Porsche. Josh was driven to his home and they sat in the evening in the hot tub behind his house and then drove him here to New York. But for a while, we were very anxious and we understood what the world never looks as big as when someone is lost means. But there was a big party in Philadelphia around that heart tub and we had our own here because we knew what our loss had been found. The sad part is today many people still have those that are lost. Some of us become lost spiritually One of the joys that I get every Sunday is I get to look out at all of you. And you are indeed a church family. 
And part of worship is about the nature of celebration. So I'm delighted we're going to have a picnic. And I really want you to be in the family photo because you matter to God. God rejoices. In gratitude for the God who seeks out and saves the lost, let us dedicate our gifts using even this printed prayer in the bulletin. Merciful God, your relentless search for your own extends across the earth. We who have experienced your grace are called to assist you in seeking out those who are lost and crying out for help. Receive this offering as our desire to share in your saving work. Amen. number of prayer requests today, but we want to start off with the celebrations that include wishing Missy and Aaron Reichman a very happy 10th anniversary later this week and the celebration that will come with that. We also give thanks and praise that Carol Gabbett became a great-grandmother earlier this month and that the little boy who was born is named Oliver William in remembrance of Bill. So we give thanks and praise for that addition to their family. We're also giving thanks and praise for how our deacons are banding together, not just for this fabulous picnic that I know you're smelling the hot dogs and hamburgers already for, 
but for the fact that when Kelly Travis sent out an email yesterday saying that her mom had taken a turn for the worse and could somebody help out because she had promised to be here at the 8.30 worship service, there were more responses than you could count that the deacons would come together in solidarity and support her, being a congregational family as we seek to do. So we are in prayer for Kelly, who has safely made it to her mother's bedside, and for the rest of the Travis family as they gather and seek to support one another through this transition in her mother's life. We're also thankful that as a large gathering was in our fellowship hall on Friday evening to, to be with the optimists and to hear Josh, and, Josh Boak, Martha and Bruce's son, give a marvelous presentation, that even though there were some falls that evening, Bob and Ann Thompson, Bob Thompson fell. Bob was in worship this morning at 8.30, and he made it home that evening after um, picking himself up and brushing himself off and having a good laugh with himself about it. And also Diane Graziano, who had stumbled and had a bad gash on her head. She, too, is doing very well. Cal got her to the hospital. They got home by midnight, and the next day when I visited with them, they were thankful for all the support that they had had, so they appreciate the prayers and the support given to them. We're also reminded that our church has been host to RAIN, the Rochester Area Interfaith Hospitality Network, for this past week. So we give thanks and praise for the volunteers and for our guests who have been so lovingly cared for in this past week. And finally, we are in remembrance this week of the 15th anniversary of 9-11. We told our bells earlier this morning. We reflect, we remember, and we look forward with a response that Jesus would have for all of us, that of grace. We join with those who are submitting prayer requests this morning. So Jeanette Henderson, I'm very sorry to know about the family of Paul Eshman as Paul had a bike accident. We are in solidarity with you as you mourn the loss of Paul and his family and friends. And also we're thinking of Alex Sapala, who had the, the ability to have Laurel Nelson visit him. Laurel's one of our pastors in the Wyoming Presbytery, and thanks be to, to them that they were able to continue his visit and be a part of Logham Landing, which is um, Laurel, um, Laurel Nelson's ministry down in the southern tier. So we're thankful that that connection was made by the Sapala family so that they could take part in Laurel Nelson's continuing ministry. Thanks, Carrie. Please join me in prayer. Almighty and ever-blessed God, we're gathered today in celebration of your closeness to us. You seem to be involved in every minute detail of every day. We are tempted always tempted to respond to the allure of power and fame and the next attraction, and sometimes we just nibble our way away from you. We thank you, O oh God, that you are resolutely searching out your lost sheep, determined to have us back, that you are in control of the present and the future, whether we think so or not. We pray that you will break us out of the boxes of pride and human knowledge, that we might be fully free to hear and respond to your word and your wisdom. We pray, O oh God, for those who believe that they are rightly in charge of their own lives and are doing just, just fine, that they might meet the intruding Christ. We pray for those charged with the responsibility of education, that you, the Lord of the universe, not be left out of their instruction 
We pray for those who have so many needs, those who rejoice, those who grieve, those who look for hope. And if we can be an answer to any of those prayers, Lord God, we ask that you will use us to be agents of your hope. So help us to pray with our lives as we do with our words when we use the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Several people have asked me, am I a shepherd of the sheep? And the answer is no, there's only one shepherd of the flock. But I am a sheepdog who tries to corral the sheep and bark at them about once a week. (laughs) And I would like to kind of move this flock outside over here. The quicker we get there, the faster we can get the picture and the quicker you can eat. So um, I'm not going to ask that you follow me, but I'll just bark at you this way and try and steer the flock that way. That is not really a shepherd. A shepherd, they follow the sheep. I'm really more of a herdsman who pushes the sheep. But as you do, as you leave this place, go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us always. Amen.
morning, Mar Henry. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Dave. Dave, you and I can carry this ladder. Right down here. I'll come get you. Come here. You take pictures? Good, thank you. Hi, Deb. If we move that, can you go up a few rungs? We get, we've got a shorter ladder, too. You don't have to go over to the top. Yeah, the, I saw the lift wasn't here, so we grabbed it. We thought out here with this, and then if we put the ladder over here, where would you like it? Okay. Oh, this? I just thought down here. Yeah, Jeff is... Yeah, I think sidewalk is level. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure. Yeah. And, and what we'll do is open this. And so that this leans this way. Now, I have a shorter one that might actually work better. Yeah. You want to try it sideways? Okay. We'll try sideways then. We certainly did. What's a, what about that? Yeah, I don't think you'll have to go up real far. Yeah. But I thought this would be safer than a chair. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in the lawn. We've got tables over there, so anywhere in here would be good. I'd say, come on over here. Just don't get too near the dunking stool. <laughs> There's real water in there. If you touch the lever, 